Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton back with a new episode in the summer. Uh, hope everybody's getting some vacation and enjoying it. But I'm really excited to have my next guest who has been very involved in the community, uh, both on the government side and in private business here, uh, John L. Bell, who's the founder and president of Espousal Strategies. Welcome. Thank you, Dan. Pleasure to be with you. So I know we were kind of chatting, like, where, where's a good place to start? Because we uh, we both suffer from the uh, the the uh, t- doing too many things ADHD, <laughs> right? As you said. So right. I, I think it'd be good to start, you know, with a little review of your company and what your company does. And then we can get into what I initially reached out uh, about uh, to talk about. Great. Well, uh, thanks again for, for having us. Uh, and uh, thanks for your work and um, having conversations, which I think is so critical. Uh, it's important for uh, us to know what our leaders are thinking about, as well as uh, kind of the vexing challenges that, that we're dealing with here in our region. So uh, I started Espousal Strategies about uh, two and a half years ago uh, after uh, serving 18 or so years in government. And Espousal Strategies, we are a boutique uh, government public uh, community affairs firm. Uh, and so uh, what we uh, do is we uh, manage campaigns uh, either for candidates uh, or for uh, organizations. Uh, we do coalition building. Uh, we do a fair amount of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Uh, and we do a lot of uh, community affairs work. Uh, so those are kind of the buckets that we operate in. And for the folks who don't maybe know that world as much, um, because you've you've worked for Senator Merkley and you kind of made that transition, what are some of the things I guess you you uh, <laughs> know about the you know the other people here in the local community don't realize what goes on behind the scenes of some of these important initiatives that are you, you know being out there need to get passed um, that you might fill us in on. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a great question. Um, every every major um, effort, um, whether it's a, a company uh, choosing to site uh, here in Oregon. Or, or the Pacific Northwest, or a project like the Portland Diamond Project that that I've been, uh, you know, working with, or the building of a bridge. Every major um, effort requires interaction with uh, a regulatory environment. Uh, requires interaction with elected officials. Requires, uh, you know, interactions with elected officials and their staff. And so, part of what we do is to be that conduit uh, for organizations, helping them understand how to navigate. Uh, regulatory uh, frameworks, uh, how to really advance 
uh, their uh, efforts and get it in front of the uh, right uh, uh, sort of policymakers and decision makers, uh, but also making sure that they're building uh, the community uh, element mm. of finding the ways in which they can connect with uh, so many of our great community-based organizations and understanding, particularly in Portland, that uh, we believe that uh, it can't just be solely focused on profit, also mm. has to be focused on what is it doing in terms of uh, the overall good for the community. So part of what we do is to kind of help uh, organizations, whether it's uh, organizations that are focused on infrastructure or organizations who are uh, just trying to get a foothold here in our region, navigate that terrain. Yeah, no, thanks for kind of filling us in on that. Cause like you said, you know, Portland is, um, I think very, they're very uh, advocate about that community part, right? And, have, and so the folks who are from outside the region who might not fully get how that needs to be pretty, that messaging, um, I'm, I'm sure you have your hands full. <laughs> right, right. And, and our sort of philosophy is doing the community element right, actually, um, not only, I think, advances an organization's sort of corporate philanthropy, uh, mm-hmm. but also, um, you know, makes, makes for uh, a much more holistic approach right well let's see a couple you know things i want to get into specifically is you know i saw on linkedin you know we had a mutual connection or maybe shared about this program i don't know if you started or involved in about cdls and breaking down some barriers for folks to you know get that certification and i thought it was really interesting so i'd love for you to give an overview of that and then we can kind of jump off from there great yeah, so about a year or so ago, I was hired by the Portland Haulers Association. And the Portland Haulers Association represents a number of uh, trash and garbage haulers, uh, some of uh, which we would recognize like uh, waste management, for example. Right. Uh, but there are a number of other smaller haulers that are family-owned uh, firms here in the uh, Portland metro region. Uh, and I was initially, our firm was initially hired to help uh, the haulers develop uh, their diversity uh, action plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, you know, how do how does the industry as a whole uh, be more intentional in recruiting uh, women and people of color? Uh, what a lot of folks uh, do not realize, and frankly, I did not realize until I started working with the haulers, uh, was a these jobs pay very well. Many of the haulers uh, pay, you know, fifty plus thousand dollars a year. Uh, with great benefits and and pensions. Uh, as a holder, you can make uh, upwards up, up to $100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a huge disconnect in, in terms of these being really great jobs with uh, great benefits and, and, and sort of the reflection of uh, their workforce relative to uh, the overall demographics in our region. Uh, so uh, what, what we did is, um, you know, part of uh, the benefit of having worked in a number of capacities, you start to understand uh, how all of these uh, sort of micro systems exist. Right. And yeah. uh, for years, I worked at Multnomah County and I worked at the city of Portland. And so I was very familiar with, for example, Work Systems Inc. Uh, for listeners who aren't aware of what, what Work Systems Inc. is, Work Systems Inc. essentially is um, a quasi government organization that manages uh, our workforce development efforts. And so folks who are looking to get retrained after being laid off, uh, folks who are looking to just get into the employment uh, sort of job system, Work Systems Inc. Uh, sort of manages that system mm-hmm. uh, for both Multnomah as well as uh, Washington County. 
Um, and I was familiar with the program that Work Systems Inc. Uh, developed, uh, focused, I think, in the healthcare industry, really helping cohorts of people kind of find their pathway into uh, the healthcare uh, uh, industry and, you know, receiving, receiving jobs. And I thought that wouldn't it be interesting if somehow we could marry Work Systems Inc. with Portland Holders Association and some of the work uh, that, uh, you know, I was advising that they do in terms of diversifying their ranks. Uh, and so that started a really interesting conversation, which led to uh, a, a great new innovative program. Mm-hmm. And so some of those specifics, and I, I think it's interesting for a, a few reasons, because this could be to these other kind of, I wouldn't say their niche, but these other industries that people don't know that pay really well, have these opportunities that traditionally maybe they haven't brought up to bring uh, more um, different, you know, communities into the, the, the jobs. So I, from what I understand, the people themselves ha- are, are, do they have to pay for all the, the certification and then they get hired or is this program kind of helping bridge that gap or? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. One of the significant barriers that we uncovered to anyone, especially uh, women and people of color of actually uh, achieving a uh, commercial uh, driver position was the costly um a sort of barrier of achieving your CDL license. Yeah. Uh, that costs about $8,000. Wow. And so what's really great about our program is uh, that all of that's paid for. And so uh, Work Systems Inc. specifically recruits uh, primarily women and people of color into this cohort model. And uh, by virtue of going through uh, this training, uh, at the end of it, not only do you get you know the training and the understanding of the industry, but you, you also walk away with a CDL license that's yeah. paid for. I mean, that's huge. $8,000. I mean, that is a huge barrier. And especially for, for folks, you know, um, from community, communities that might not have, that, that means, I mean, for anybody, that's that's a lot. I mean, in this model, and it sounds like it's, it's starting, it's being successful. Um, you know, of course, my business mind, I'm sure yours too, uh, John Ellis, where can this also be implemented in other types of industries and maybe you're advising or not just maybe we can riff here of of you know things that traditionally had these kind of barriers for for folks well i think it's a great model that can be replicated almost in any i think uh sort of sector uh, yeah. it really comes down to the wheel a lot of folks who consult with us are always looking for kind of the the, the magic bullet you know john l how do we you know increase our our diversity how do we uh, sort of, uh, you know, have an entity that's much more reflective of our overall population. And what I will say is there's no panacea, mm-hmm. um, but I think being innovative and creative and being willing to develop a pilot, we had no uh, idea whether or not this was going to be successful. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. you know, it was sort of hypothetically an interesting idea, but you don't know until you kind of get into it. And as we develop this first cohort model, there are going to be some improvements along the way. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, there are a lot of uh, industries and fields where this type of model can be applicable, because what I will tell you is the diverse candidates are are out there. It's oftentimes uh, taking a step back to really identify some of the barriers that might exist uh, to really fully realizing uh, everyone's uh, opportunity. Yeah, no, well, thanks for your work on that. I'm, I'm, I saw that and I was just, how innovative how, um, and again, you know, how this can be used for other, you know, types of industries, and especially now where, I mean, something you look at like CDLs, where we all know 
the supply chain um, has a huge shortage of drivers. I've talked to so many businesses or, you know, I went to McDonald's with my kid the other day and like, oh, we don't even have apple juice because it's it's out. They can't get it. Right, like, right. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, th- that's that's really great. So I'm excited to follow along and, you know, in the show notes, we'll put a link to that. Um, some of the other things I wanted to talk about you can share is, you know, your role with the Diamond Project. Um, maybe just talk about a little, uh, you know, what you were brought on to do and help with, and then maybe a little bit where we're at with it. If you can share, um, that would be great too. Sure. Well, uh, the Portland Diamond Project, uh, I've been around uh, working with for um, the same length of, of, of the business. Actually, it was uh, my uh, anchor client is uh, how I initially started uh, as okay. strategies was to uh, consult with uh, the Portland Diamond Project. Uh, Craig Cheek, uh, who's the president, who uh, spent 20 plus years at Nike, um, you know, ended his career as uh, head of uh, North America uh, for Nike. And in his division was uh, the clique, uh, all of the uh, clique divisions. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, very involved in signing uh, Russell Wilson, uh, which, of course, is how he got engaged into the Portland Diamond Project. And, of course, Mike Barrett. Uh, who was a longtime uh, sports announcer for the Portland Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they approached me looking for essentially a chief of staff uh, to manage uh, their government and public affairs. Uh, and so that's what I've been doing for the Portland Diamond Project. Uh, we were so thrilled to receive uh, over uh, 70,000 uh, petitions from uh, Portlanders, but also not just Portlanders, folks from all across Oregon who uh, wanted to send a clear signal to the MLB that the time is now to bring Major League Baseball uh, to Portland. Uh, and so we are in the midst right now of uh, obviously uh, COVID uh, has uh, certainly had an impact yeah. uh, not only uh, uh, on uh, kind of um, um, our efforts in terms of uh, wanting this to move a lot uh, faster uh, than what it is, but on the leagues across uh, the nation. Yeah. Uh, and so we uh, believe that uh, sometime uh, this winter uh, during winter meetings, is when uh, conversations will emerge around um, expansion. Uh, we feel very confident that Portland uh, is uh, the, the next and probably best and most logical choice uh, for a West Coast expansion team. Uh, we've made that case. We like to consider ourselves an underserved sports uh, marketplace. Uh, if you think about uh, us only having uh, one of the top uh, four, right. uh, there are cities much smaller uh, than Portland that have uh, two, uh, sometimes even three of the majors. Uh, so uh, we continue to have a robust conversation around real estate and uh, continue to uh, look for the perfect uh, place for uh, uh, stadium and uh, continue to engage uh, from that level. Yeah, I mean, the, like you said, the Wills is is here, not just for Portland, the whole state and COVID just threw a huge wrench in so many things. And I right, can't imagine right. the, the timing for this and this, I think a lot of folks who are watching from a distance or supporting from a distance, um, you know, kind of timeline wise, that's no one knows, right? This is a years long thing, but it's exciting to hear that maybe in the winter, these conversations will will pick up a little more, huh? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we're, we're all extremely impatient, uh, the yeah. pace at which these things uh, seem to uh, move forward. But uh, from all of the signs that we've heard and conversations that we've heard, uh, both in terms of um, our connectivity um, directly uh, with the league, as well as uh, folks sort of in the ether, that we're doing everything right. Uh, that yeah. we've uh, demonstrated that uh, the economics could work. That we've demonstrated that we have uh, the political support, 
and that we've demonstrated that we have uh, the support of fans. Uh, you know, as you know about our our fan base here in Portland, we have sort of rabid fans, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we continue to sell out every game of the Timbers and every game of the Thorns, and uh, and of course every seat in the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. Uh, and so we we believe that uh, this is the perfect place in the summer. There's no better place to enjoy a game like baseball than uh, a Portland summer. And uh, it's just a great compliment to uh, uh, what we've already uh, you know, have invested in in this region. Yeah, I mean, just to look at the level what it has been publicly released about the, the folks involved as far as like potential ownership group. I mean, it seems like it's there, right? Um, so I uh, looking forward to seeing what happens. And thanks for all your, your work on trying to make it happen. And I'm, I'm excited, obviously, with two little kids to hopefully one day see this come to life. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, John Elk, you know, it's, we kind of maybe end, this is something I always like to ask. And I think you have a really great perspective and insight working both on kind of the government side um, and now in the private sector and working with many companies in the private sector is Portland. Where are we at when we think about business growth? Um, knowing this past year has been really tough for small businesses, not just in Portland, but in all cities. What's your thoughts? Kind of where we're at and just where we're going to be. <laughs> yeah, that, Big question, I know. Part, but you say the easy question for, 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 for last. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what I'll say is I, I so I, look, I am a um, product of Portland. I was born and raised here. I went to uh, elementary, middle, and high school and college here in Portland. And um, we've always had our, our moments of, um, of challenge. Uh, certainly, I remember after 9-11 and sort of the economic impact that's had yeah. uh, on Portland. I remember the dot-com uh, bust and the, the impact it had uh, on Portland. Um, and, you know, we have another, uh, you know, challenge that I don't think is insurmountable, which is, of course, uh, the pandemic. And there's been a lot of commentary, a lot of uh, negative commentary on the future of Portland and the notion that it will take us a decade uh, to recover. And I just don't subscribe uh, to uh, that dogma. I think folks who believe that are folks who who have never really believed in Portland uh, and mm-hmm. folks who don't understand the grit and uh, what actually is in uh, the DNA of an Oregonian and the DNA of a Portlander. Um, I believe this will be a time of great renewal uh, with all of the shuttered businesses that have occurred. I believe that will pave way for uh, a whole new uh, swath of uh, new innovation and creativity and uh, folks who are just looking to uh, get their shot. Uh, you know, we uh, have grown pretty ex- exponentially over the past three years and uh, where we are looking to site our offices will be somewhere downtown Portland mm. uh, at a time where, of course, a lot of the commentary is folks are fleeing to the uh, to the verbs. Now, that's not to say that we don't have some challenges. We certainly do. I think um, uh, I look forward to the conversation that the city is going to have about our form of government. Uh, my own view is I think it's time for the, our form of government to change. Uh, our form of government was actually designed off of Galveston, Texas. And the reason why Galveston, Texas designed uh, the form of government is it was one after one of uh, a major uh, storm they had. And they needed uh, Commissioner of Public Works, Commissioner of Public Safety to build quickly, right? So that's why you have this quasi-CEO legislative role. Right. Uh, we've outgrown mm-hmm. that form. Uh, and um, uh, But again, I, I could not be more optimistic about the hope and uh, future for the city. Uh, we do have some challenging uh, roads, uh, a challenging road that lie ahead. 
But I think uh, if we all pull together, we can overcome it. I mean, I'm so with you. I mean, I'm, I grew up in the state. I'm uh, Southern Oregon, but I've been here, yeah, almost 20 years. And that's what the people throwing stones that from, you know, the national news or whatever, it just frankly pisses me off. And I know a lot me of people because, um, <laughs> you know, it's easy to, to see and some of the challenges we've had, especially pandemic, social justice, but what they don't realize is how many people are doing the work here you know, and, right. and, um, really, uh, t- to move it forward. So I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm positive. And I think a lot of people that are actually, you know, doing the work or, or seeing the work or live here, um, are positive too. So, um, I appreciate right. that. Those, those thoughts. Yeah. And, and, and what, what I continue to be inspired by, um, are the young folk who are choosing to move to Portland and the innovation and creativity that continues through certainly that are part of the conversations that I'm having. And so, you know, yeah. uh, and, and that's what really inspires me and motivates me. And, uh, you know, I was just downtown Portland and uh, throughout Portland this weekend, folks are getting back out again and uh, going to uh, eateries and lines are long again. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, I, I just think that uh, the best is yet to come. Um, and to that point, the, the, every young person I talk to, um, even if they're graduating college or just about to go in college, I'm so blown away by it because when I was that age, I was right. not that <laughs> savvy, that tuned in. Right. So I'm just really inspired and, you know, just optimistic, just knowing they're going to be the, you know, leaders and whatever they do. And so uh, we're in a good place. Um, well, John, how's we, as we wrap up, where can people find you more about the work you're doing? Uh, love for you to share that as well. Yeah, well, that's, uh, appreciate that. Uh, they can email me, uh, John L at espousal strategies.com. Um, you can also, uh, check us out online. Uh, at espousalstrategies.com. Um, look forward to uh, having conversations uh, uh, around government, public, community affairs. Great. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks for your work. And thanks for the invitation. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well. 